I'm actually got, I'm going to actually give some good content today. Where'd it go? Oh, the thing, I closed it. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'll open it back up. You're, you're online. Am I on? No way, man. No way, James. I'm not on. Okay. Are we live, James? Okay, everybody, Stephen Key here. And guess what? My partner in crime is not going to join me today. Andrew Kraus, I think, is actually taking a couple of days off. So good for him. But today I have a very special Q&A because I'm going to talk about negotiations and give you guys some strategies. So let me know if we're live just to check. So if we're there, let me know. Put in the box. What do we have here? You are live. I always like that they tell me. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, since I'm doing this by myself, I have a little help. James is going to be helping me with some of the some of the issues I might have. Of course, I have a lot of issues. <laughs> so thank you for joining us on a Q&A. Let's start off by talking a little bit about licensing, because if you're new to this Q&A with InventRight, you're, maybe you're not quite sure what product licensing is. It's really simple. You're going to come up with a great idea and you're going to find a company that wants a great idea and you're going to show them your brilliance. And if they like it, they're going to rent it from you and pay you royalties on each and every one of those ideas that you came up with and showed them and they were manufacturing it for you. So what is it? Basically, you're renting an idea to a company and they're going to pay you royalties on each and every one they sell. It's called product licensing, and it's been around for 200 years. Oh, gee. Most people are not familiar with it. Most people think that you have to start a business, raise money, uh, hire employees, sell it wherever, do all the heavy lifting. I'm here to tell you, no, you don't have to do that. You could find those companies that do embrace open innovation, meaning that they're looking for ideas from people like us and you can show them great ideas. Okay. In theory, it's fairly simple, but there's a lot of little steps along the way for you to be successful at product licensing. And that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to answer some of your questions. Today, I'm going to do something a little special too. I am going to actually give you information on licensing agreements. I love licensing agreements. I love when it happens, but you need good information. In fact, what I'm going to talk about today with some of the questions that you're going to provide me, I am going to talk about how to negotiate a licensing agreement. But really, what I'm going to talk about is that I'm going to give you strategies to give you leverage so when you do get that licensing agreement, and if you've done this work beforehand, it's going to help you cut a better deal. So does everybody understand that? Give me a thumbs up if uh, you understand what I'm going to be showing you today. So before we jump in, for me to give you seven, I'm going to give you seven tips on licensing strategies. So when your licensing agreement does come over, you have a little leverage. But what do I mean? What do I mean by leverage? Meaning you're going to get a great royalty rate. You're going to get minimum guarantees and they're going to do a good job for you. Everybody thinks that the time to negotiate is when you receive a licensing agreement. But no, 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 no. You need to start early. 
way before you ever receive a licensing agreement. You need to start early so when it comes over, you have some leverage. Okay, well, I'll get to that in just a minute. So let's start it off. Does anybody have any questions about the licensing or about anything for that matter for me? If you do, let me put them in the chat and let me see what you have. So uh, I see someone says, okay, brings all the good stuff. Thank you very much. I don't see any questions yet. No questions. Come on. I know you got some questions. Let me hear one. Um, I did a great interview the other day with a patent agent, Kevin Prince, which you're going to see up on our YouTube channel, how to really identify a good patent attorney or a patent agent to work with. So be ready for that. That's going to be coming up. But also on our YouTube channel, before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things we're doing over there. Courtney, one of our amazing coaches, we're going to start to do um, book reviews. Uh, James, I'm frozen by any chance on my screen. Is it frozen on your end because it's frozen? Oh, there, I, there you go. Okay, good. So just to repeat myself, um, Courtney and I are going to do book reviews on our YouTube channel, Right TV. And I think you're going to absolutely love it because we're going to help you find the right books to help you become successful. Okay. All right. Here are a couple questions that have just come in. And this is from James. Is it worth trying to license a product that is patent pending or should I wait for the patent to be approved? James, that's such a great question. And I see this happen quite often that an inventor waits for the patent to be issued. No, don't wait. Never wait. Um, I'm all about testing the market really early by filing a provisional patent application before you file a non-provisional patent application. So what we're trying to teach you is this. A lot of patents aren't worth a dime. That's a whole other conversation to have. So what I'm trying to share with you, it is a numbers game. And what that means is that you need to test ideas quickly. And you can do that by filing a provisional patent application, which gives you a year before you have to file for a real patent or a non-provisional patent application. And that way you can test your ideas. But imagine waiting years, I mean, really, literally years before your patent issued to see if anybody even wants it. It's a bad approach. Don't do it. Start early. It's the best approach. And if you've even filed a non-provisional patent application that gives you patent pending status, yes, get in the game, but find the good companies. That's the catch. Find the good companies that want to work with you. And, and that's really your best protection, even better than a patent, to tell you the truth. Okay, yes, I'm frozen, but not any longer. Okay, thank you. Uh, toy licensing regarding to IP. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, we had one of the largest toy companies in the world. We had them come on InventRights members uh, this Monday. They came on at 8 a.m. and they talked about everything they're looking for. That's right. They came on and they talked about everything they're looking for. And what was really amazing, we had over 150 of our students that came on and that company came on and they talked about what they're looking for. 
that was incredible because they're giving you a target to hit. And one of the questions I asked was, what about intellectual property? Do they need to file a patent before they submit to you? Because this gentleman is giving us a direct portal to him. He said, no. <laughs> he said, no. There you go. Well, regardless of what he tells you, if you're fearful, then maybe you file a copyright or maybe you file a provisional patent application. But in the toy industry, you know, they're pretty user friendly, but I know a lot of inventors are a little fearful, so they file. So anyway, is it important to them? Not really. He also said, look, if they like your idea and they do think intellectual property is important, they'll help you file it. Good stuff. Okay, Celeste. Celeste, thank you for coming all the way from South Africa. Hey, Celeste. Hi. Hello, Stephen and all. Thank you to all who ask questions so we get to hear the answers. Plus, licensing agreement tips. Yes, I'm going to talk all about that in just a minute. So thank you, Celeste. Um, here's from Ted. Ted says, don't want, don't want to derail the talk, but just wondering, is there anything, okay, to keep... Okay, um, Ted is asking about the fitness industry. Ted, let's let's talk about the fitness industry. He's asking some basic questions about the fitness industry. I'm here to tell you, you guys, the fitness industry is remarkable. It's not easy. And why isn't it easy? Well, number one, you're going to need a prototype. Okay. And you're going to need some type of test results of why your fitness product works. Okay, so it could be testimonials, it could be whatever, because those companies that are looking at products in the fitness category, they want to know, well, you're saying that you're going to get stronger, prove it. Well, that that's a fair, you know, that's a fair question. So you're going to need a prototype. You're going to make sure you're going to have to prove that it actually does what you say it's going to do. So, in my opinion, it makes it a little tough. That industry is really run by a couple of really big guys, although they're smaller players. So, there's not as many companies to license to. Those are three strikes against that industry. Need a prototype, need to prove that it works. And there's not that many companies to license to. Do we see products get licensed in that industry? Absolutely, do we do. Is it easy? No. There you go, Ted. Trying to keep it real for you there. Um, let's see. There's Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Hopefully we can help you. Oh, there's Brittany. Would you recommend filing? I love this, Brittany. Brittany says, would you recommend filing a provisional patent for a business method involving technology? Yes, I would. Okay, Brittany, let me explain this. I love business method patents they're not easy to get um, most likely you're going to have some software or some technology involved in it to make something better okay great software patents don't get issued that often because they're, they're it's a little difficult to get them issued because of some case studies okay great this is my advice i'm not a patent attorney i'm not giving you legal advice this is what i would do make sure in your mind, put a flow chart together of what your business does, what this business does, and make sure it's not just software, but actually people doing something. 
there it is a user doing something maybe they're 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 scanning something or maybe they're typing in something and maybe they're going to get something whatever it is show not only the code part of it but actually someone using it and how they would use it do a flow chart that's what i do i've also been told that if you really are serious about this i would find a patent attorney that just specializes in software right and i'll give you a quick recommendation john farrell um, and I can send you an email on this. John Farrell has been my patent attorney for over 25 years. He's in Silicon Valley. He really specializes in a lot of software because he's over there in Silicon Valley. So do a flow chart, make sure it's technology, but it actually has user using it. Very important. Find the right patent attorney that can help give you some guidance. So when you file that PPA, you're doing it in such a way that you do have a chance so, Brittany, that's a really great question. Thanks. Thank you for asking it. Okay. Uh, okay, class. Yeah. He, okay. James Kelly, I see him. Okay. All right, you guys, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, licensing agreements, and I come, then I'm going to come back to a few questions. Okay. I want to talk about seven things that you can do, seven strategies that you can do to help you when you're going to be negotiating your licensing agreement, that's going to give you leverage and you have to start early. Okay. Number one, let's see. Hold on one second. Number one, you're going to file intellectual property. And I like a provisional patent application. You guys, you know, I love that tool. You're going to file, a provisional patent application that that I call transaction ready. And I, I actually do a lot of videos on this. and I talk a lot about this. No patent attorney is going to tell you how to do this because they're going to tell you how to protect an invention. I'm going to tell you how to negotiate a licensing agreement with your application. They're different. But also, if you follow this process, I'm going to talk about if you file a provisional patent application that's transaction ready, not only is it going to protect your invention, it's going to help you get a licensing deal. It's going to do both. Because I'm going to look at it not only from a legal perspective, but from a business perspective. Okay, so what does that mean? Transaction ready. That means doing your homework. That's right. That's all it really means, doing your homework and filing it, filing it in such a way that when someone sees it, that potential licensee, they're going to go, holy cow, you did a good job. That's it. You're going to write it in such a way that it's a selling tool to convince a company you know what you're doing. So only you can really do this. Now, you can gather the information, file it yourself. We have a great software package called Smart IP that's, that's going to help you file it yourself. Or you can hire a patent attorney or patent agent, but you have to compile this information regardless who does it. You do it, I hire somebody, doesn't matter compile this information. And what is the information? Real quick, identify the problem. Talk about the problem so a, an eighth grader, seventh grader, sixth grader could understand the problem. Frame it so anybody can understand it. The solution, your invention, make it so simple anybody could understand it. Problem, solution. What And then what is your, how to manufacture it? Ooh, I cannot tell you enough. I talked to a patent attorney last week and I asked him, how important is knowing how to manufacture your invention? And do patent attorneys know that information? He said, no, we don't know that information. 
I go, what? He goes, no, Steve, we, you know, we have engineering backgrounds, but do we really understand the manufacturing? Yeah, kind of, but we don't, you know, that's not our job. And we really don't do that. We're not taught to do that. When I'm here, I'm telling you something different. If you can put how this thing's going to be manufactured, it is gold, right? That's so important. And there's ways to find that out. I'm not going to talk about it now. That's I could go too long into it. But the point is problem, solution, manufacturing. Now, materials, absolutely the most efficient way to manufacture it. Oh, that's gold. Workarounds, variations. Workarounds, variations. How would someone steal it from me? I want to show that company, that licensing that that license licensee that's looking at my idea, I want to show them in such a way they're going to go, holy cow, this guy has problem solution, manufacturing, workarounds, variations. He's shown me everything. It's transaction ready. The guy has thought about it. In fact, if you compile it that way, it's going to be so convincing you're going to get your licensing agreement. So, so let's circle back. Number one, how to leverage to make sure you get a very good licensing agreement Make sure your provisional patent application is transaction ready. Okay, number two. God, I went long on that one, sorry. Number two, strong marketing material. You guys, your marketing material is so important. And if you're doing it yourself, you're doing it wrong. I hate to tell you that. You guys, good marketing material is not just a pretty sell sheet, a pretty picture, no. You are so convincing with your marketing copy that you're taking away risk. It's so convincing that when a when a person sees it within that company, they're sharing it with people because they get it. It sells itself. It's so convincing, it gives you leverage later. That's what you're doing. It gives you leverage later because you've, you've condensed it. You know the, all the other similar products. You know your point of difference. And it's so powerful that when they see it, it gives you leverage later. Your marketing material is so important. And I know a lot of you out there are work, doing it yourself. Don't do that. Some of you guys are using Fiverr Upworks. You guys, I'm not even wild about that. And I'll tell you the reason why. Those person you're sending it to to do your marketing material, what do they know about good marketing copy on a sell sheet? They know graphics. So here's the point. If your marketing material is not strong, it's not going to help you when you license or leverage your position to a company to give you a better deal. Okay, number. I'm going to go to number three, then I'll go to questions again. Number three, manufacturing. I just said that. You guys, I think why most patents are worthless, there's no manufacturing. People don't know how to make it. It's not worth anything. I saw an application, a patent that was issued, that I tried to build the prototype and then ask someone, that's in the manufacturing. Can you make this invention? He goes, Steve, we can make it, but not very efficiently. Great idea, but that's not really how it's going to be manufactured. Oh, geez. So I have a problem. So you really need to figure that out. And, and one way to do that is hire someone, find them on LinkedIn, ex-employee of some company, hire them have them sign a non-disclosure with work for hire language. So everything he tells you, you own and figure out how to manufacture the darn thing. All right, and if you don't know how to do that, you don't have leverage because what's gonna happen? You're gonna sit, submit your idea to a company. They're gonna to have to figure out how to manufacture it and then they own part of it. You don't have leverage. You wanna take that leverage away. You wanna know how to do it. I talk a lot about that and that's what we, we do at InventRight too. 
how to leverage. Okay, that's number three. I'll get to number four in just a minute. All right. Oh, let's see. Brittany, you're the best. Thank you very much. Hey, Brittany, good job being on Shark Tank. It was so great seeing you. And uh, good job. Uh, I don't see any other questions yet. Come on, you guys. No, no other questions? You're killing me. Do you want me to keep on going on? Uh, let's see. Okay, there we go. Oh, I love this. Here's a graphic designer. As a graphic designer, would you recommend I design the sell sheet and consult with a marketing expert for marketing expertise? Okay. Well, you need someone that understands product licensing. You need someone that can help you condense your product into one sentence that's powerful. You need someone that understands the difference between benefits and features. You want someone that understands the art of the pitch. You want someone that knows how to take away risk. You want someone that can use powerful words, powerful words to get a company to say yes. So can you just hire a marketing expert to do that? I don't think so. You need someone that understands product licensing. That's the expert you need to get. I love that question. That is a great question. Thank you very much, Christy, for asking that. All right. I had a question C above. Let me see above. Okay. My father tried to venture himself. No real sales to speak of or major social following. I will. Well, that was okay. She wants to know, is that going to reflect negatively? I get that all the time. Okay. You're watching Shark Tank. Everybody says, hey, venturing is easy to do. We have Amazon. We can get it made anywhere. And I'm going to sell it myself. And you realize it doesn't work that way. The hardest thing to do is just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. I tell everybody, look, venturing is really tough. Most people fail at it. It takes years to do it well. You need experience at it. But I see a lot of people ending up with failure doing it. Oh, you tried. So what? Does that mean it's the end of the road? No, not, not at all. What that means is you can take some of the things that you've learned and reach out to a company now and, and present it in such a way that they can see you didn't know what you were doing. Okay, I hate to say that. Um, if you can, if you're venturing yourself and you don't have any sales, why? Well, maybe you didn't know what you're doing or maybe you didn't know how to use Amazon or Amazon or maybe you weren't good at running ads, but you can explain to a company, look, I've got a great idea. I tried to do it myself. I failed, um, but I need some help. Better yet, let's say you did sell some of them. You could say, look, I sold X, X, Y, and Z, and uh, I'm tired. I, I can't. I need help. Let me tell you what I think you should do. Take the inventory you have, right? Go down to your local store that you think is going to carry it, and talk to the manager in there and say, "Look, I'm going to give you these products here to sell. Take everybody out to lunch. I just want to know if people buy them." That's right. And I would also tell them, and I'll give you an example of that. Let me grab this real quick. I love that question. I believe in doing testing. 
And if you have product that you can test, and if you can put it in the store and sell one a week, you might have a hit on your hands and you don't even know it. Okay, let me repeat that. If you got a product that's in a package that you can go down to a local retailer, put it in the store, and if you can sell one a week, you can get a licensing deal. Because if you can sell one a week, you might have a hit on your hands. Because all that's required for a company to license it is that knowledge that you sold one a week. Now, that's really crazy. You, you think, well, Steve, what do you mean one a week? Hey, one a week is a lot. Because if that licensee has 20,000 stores, you're selling 20,000 a week. Right, so look at it that way. So I'll give you an example. I'm producing these guitar picks. They're in the shape of Mickey Mouse and skulls and everything else. And, and people love them. And we're selling it to thousands of stores. And But I want to sell it to 7-Eleven. So, but it doesn't make sense. Putting a guitar pick and selling it at 7-Eleven. So I walk into the local 7-Eleven. I said, look, hey, you know me. You know, I work down the street. Thank you um, for, for being there, whatever. And I said, hey, I've got this great product. It's guitar picks. I think your audience is going to love it. Can I try to, can I give you a package to put in your store to see if they sell? He said, Steve, you think musicians come in here? That many musicians come in here? I said, no, no, you don't understand. We've designed guitar picks so the fans love them, the fans. And he said, okay. I said, look, I'm going to put a display. I want to put it by your counter. All the products there are yours. If you sell it, take everybody out to lunch. I just want to know if they will sell. I just want the data, the data. That's all it was. So we went ahead and built these displays by hand. And I was able to put these products in there. And I put it on the, the front counter. Now, that counter space is really precious, but I, I needed people to see it. So I built this little handmade display, put it in there. And sure enough, I put it in on a Friday. I came back on Monday and it was gone. I thought, well, what do you mean it's gone? He, he must have kicked it to the curb. I didn't sell any. So I walked in there and I said, hey, just checking to see if you sold any. He goes, we sold all of them. We sold out. We sold out. So I went back to my office. I was pretty happy about it. And sure enough, I got a call from the regional manager of 7-Eleven said, hey, I hear you had a hot product that went in our stores. You sold all of them. I said, yeah, that's what I was told. He goes, well, did your friends buy them? I said, no. He goes, well, I want to test it again. So here are seven, make seven more displays for me. I'm going to put them in seven more 7-Elevens. So I did. He calls me back. He goes, you got a hit on your hands. All right. Here's the moral to the story. If I've got a product that I can put in the store and I can show it sales, you can get a licensing deal. That's going to help you regardless of what you've done before. So hopefully that that's a great question. Hopefully that story helps you. But anyway, no, it does not hurt you, but you got to reposition it right that you didn't know what you were doing. Okay. Okay. I want to go to number, what's the next one? Number five. Did I do number four? No, number four. Let's do number four. In order to get a great licensing deal, you're doing things before you even get a licensing agreement to make sure you got a great product that's gonna, you know, it's gonna sell. And I can tell you, if I've got a product that I can easily demonstrate, 
tell the story. And I practice that story. I've told that story a thousand times. That's going to help me help them sell it to their people. I've done a little extra work. I know how to pitch it. I practice it before and I can show how to do a quick demo. So what have I talked about here? I talked about filing a good provisional patent application, a transaction ready. I talked about understanding maybe some of the manufacturing. I've got good marketing material. I've got a product that I can demo and talk about quickly. Those are things that allow me to have some strength of reason why my product is a good fit for your company. So that is number, I think that is number four. Is that number four? Let me see. That's number four. Let's go to number five real quick. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Getting back to understanding costs. Everything comes down to cost. I don't care. I mean, every question anybody's going to have for you when you try to license an idea. Well, how do we do it? What is the cost? How do we do it? What is the cost? Because they're really looking at the profit margin here to see if it's worth investing time, energy, money to sell your product. And will people even buy it? It's so important to understand that. And sometimes we we don't. But if you can, you know, if you can understand that, hey, this category of products sell between $10 and $20. You know, what's really great, my product can be manufactured at such a such a you know, such a, a low price point. It can be sold at $10. And guess what? There's a lot of profit in there because I know what's going to cost the manufacturer. That gives me leverage to know what profit they're going to make that allows me to make a very convincing argument why they should pay me a bigger royalty. All right. So know your costs. That's number five. Okay. Let's do the next one and I'll get the questions again. Number six. Yeah. I love number six. Number six is this. There's going to be a lot of competing products on the market that your product is going to compete with. If you know your Really, you know your point of difference compared to all the other products, you're going to have leverage, right? And you're going to keep on stating your point of difference, right? And maybe you even do a sell sheet to show all the similar products and then yours and why yours is better. That is powerful. So, you know, all these things are adding up for you to make a good argument when you're negotiating. I know the manufacturing costs. I've got good IP. It's easy to demonstrate. Great marketing material. Everybody gets it. And here's my clear point of difference. All those things start to really add up. Now, I know a lot of you that probably haven't negotiated a licensing agreement. And I can tell you, it is really stressful. It is horrible. And I'm going to talk about that just in a minute. But that is number six. So let's see if I got any more questions here. Let's see. Uh, what is a good example of a sell sheet? Oh, geez. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what a good example is. Uh, it's really quite simple for me. It's a one-page advertisement. That's what it is. It's a one-page advertisement that tells their consumer, not the licensee, the company that's going to license it, but to their customer, it's a one page. Why would you want to buy this? 
It has a big picture. The biggest picture on the sell sheet is your product. It could be a prototype. It could be a photograph. It could be a 3D computer-generated rendering that looks real. The most important part is the one-line benefit statement at the very top. The one-line benefit statement at the very top. It's your unique selling proposition. Why would anybody care? Very, very important. And then features and benefits, contact information. That's all it really is. But you need to be in, you need to be able to understand it within a second. I like to tell everybody, it's really simple. It's like you're driving down the freeway and you look up at, at a billboard and within seconds, you know exactly what that product is. If your sell sheet is not, commu not communicating the benefit of your product within seconds, you don't have a good sell sheet. So that's what that is. And thank you for ask asking that question. Believe me, I've tried to convince. All right, here's the uh, here's the person that's trying to convince her father. I've tried to convince him to license, but he didn't listen. Now he's open to the idea. Oh, yeah. Well, let, let me tell you what happens. Who comes to us on Eventrite? It's real simple. Usually someone that's just beginning, which is wonderful. Someone that has, has, has done a couple steps and they think they're further along, which they're really not. Someone that has tried the license, has failed, or someone that has ventured and it's fed up with it. We get people through all stages. We also have um, organizations as large as the Smithsonian that, that we that we help and different types of organizations too. So we see all of it from beginners to even advanced. We even have members that have licensed 20 ideas and they're still members of our community because there's always more to learn. All right, all right. Yeah, sometimes people have to learn. You know, you know what's really great, you guys? Sometimes doing it yourself and failing teaches you more than you could imagine. It's painful, though. And I really don't think you have to go through that pain, but some people do. So it's okay. I just want you to get started. Um, David, thoughts on bigger ticket, inexpensive products as it relates to licensing? Bigger ticket, inexpensive products. David, I need more information because bigger ticket and then inexpensive. I need more information. Don't quite understand it. And inexpensive. And inexpensive. Bigger ticket and inexpensive. Give me an example, David. Uh, Jimmy, your question is way too long. I'm not going to answer it. Here's another one from Ted. Yours is too long, too. Um, so let me get to Jimmy right here. Would you respond to Hold on one second, important. Okay. I okay. Jimmy, I you know what's really interesting? I think where people are making mistakes because they they don't know how to deal with some objections. So for instance, I'll give you an example, Jimmy, that a lot of people trip up on. So I'm in a meeting and this patent attorney on this company side or someone says, hey, Steve, I'm frozen again here. They, they might say, Steve, there's a lot of similar products on the market, you know, and, you know, there's probably prior art, you know, so why would we pay you? Oh, that's a great question. And I'm going to tell that 99.9% .9 of everybody I've ever met, 
you don't know how to answer that question right. And you might think, oh, geez, they found a problem. There's a similar idea, and they don't think my product my product's worth anything. Well, I'm here to tell you, I love that question. In fact, I'm waiting for that question. That question allows me to sell. You see, where other people might be fearful of that and think, oh, geez, there's no interest. Know what it tells me? There's interest. I just have to prove to them why they need to pay me. So the way I position is say, look, of course there's prior art. And that's really great. And of course, there's similar products on the market. Of course, because people want those type of products. But mine's different. Here's my point of difference. And that's why people are going to love what I have. And that's why I'm going to get a patent on it, because my product isn't on the market. See, you can take those situations where you think it's going to go dead in and twist them, change it to reposition it for you to sell. You guys, what we're talking about is soft skills, right? When you get an objection or, or something's not working or or someone's not responding to you, all these things are going to be happening to you. And if you don't know how to react to it, you might think, oh, they haven't got back to me. Oh, or here's a problem. Oh, I should forget about it. And, and you're starting, you know what happens? You start to lose momentum. You start to get a little frustrated and you start to think to yourself, hey, maybe I can't do this or maybe no one, no one wants my idea. But I'm here to tell you that that roller coaster ride you need to understand that ride. And that's why, you know, we have people, including myself and other people on our team, that we've been on that ride a million times. So we know how to react to it. You really know what it means. And if you haven't done this a lot of times, sometimes you'll give up too early and you should not do that. So, Jimmy, that's really a good question. Okay. Um, Ted. Uh Ted says, in regard to the fitness equipment, uh, equipment invention, I almost have a prototype finished. Good for you. There's no other equipment like it. Heard that before. Um, it's very light and portable, and easy to use for everybody. Fantastic. I have a high-profile fitness person I would like to partner with. Wonderful. Okay. Um, good, 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 good. I want to send an idea about this. Okay. Um, first of all, whoever you want to work with, Make sure they're a good fit for you, meaning make sure they have a good track record. You know, and, and how do you do that? Well, type in complaints and lawsuits, of course. Ask for any referrals, of course. Give someone a small thing to do and see if they do it. Okay. But this particular person, Ted's talking about, he has a following. He might be a great partner. Yeah. I mean, I like people that can up my game. I like partners that have something I don't currently have. So, Ted, that might be a great opportunity. Just make sure he's the right guy. And um, because you're really getting in bed with somebody and you got to structure those deals, how to go forward. He probably has a lot more leverage than you do because you're just starting out and he has a million followers. So, you know, you have an uphill battle here to get this guy to even, to even want to work with you. But the other thing is... Um, investigate. It could be a great opportunity or he'll say no. You know, So investigate, but do your homework on the guy first before you even reach out to him. Do you review submitted products and reject those that are not worthwhile? <laughs> James, what we do at InventRight is that we don't review products. I mean, we teach a process. You know, 
I understand. I mean, for me to say that's a good idea, that's a bad idea, that's ridiculous. If anybody's out there that's trying to give you advice on, on if your idea is good or not, I would run for the hills. No one, no one has the crystal ball of what a good idea is. The only, the only people that are really going to determine that is when someone takes their credit card out or buys it in the store. So, yeah, we don't review. What we do, though, we know the process. We know the industries. We know the obstacles. We know the correct steps to do this right so people consider you an asset and that's something they want to avoid. So, but if anybody says, hey, let me see your idea and then let me tell you if it's a good idea or not, that's ridiculous. I, I wouldn't, uh, we don't do that. But every once in a while, I do see something remarkable. God, every once in a while, I see something so remarkable, I, I know it's going to be a winner. I hate to say that, but sometimes it's so obvious. Uh, the person's done a great job. Their sell sheet is spot on. It's unique. I'm familiar with it. That's true. Because if I'm not familiar with the topic or category, my opinion means nothing. But if I am and I see something new, I can spot it. And I think more pros, but still, it's just my opinion. So don't worry about it. Uh, okay, let's get back to my uh, my little presentation here. Okay, all right, I'm having fun with this. Okay, number seven, number six. Yeah, number seven. You guys, this is a trick I use all the time. It works. You don't have to use it all the time, though. This is only a trick I use when I'm not getting traction. This is a trick I use when everybody is not seeing what I'm seeing or no one really wants to take a risk or there's too much money or they don't care. Or, this is something that I use when I have a problem idea that I think is brilliant, but no one else sees my brilliance, right? I show to that licensee, a company that's looking for ideas, I show them market demand. I show them market demand. Okay, what do you mean by that? I'll give you a good example. This product here, is called, this product here, it's called Fishbone. And this is a container for beverages that's 100% 100 curbside recyc recyclable. No plastic rings, okay? Um, it's a great concept. I'm part of a team. Uh, I love this product. It, it makes perfect sense. Plastic is terrible. It's 100% curbside. If you go to fishbone.com, you can see it there. That technology to test it, to get someone interested, was going to be about a million dollars. A million dollars. Okay, so uh, how do you get someone to spend a million dollars on a test? All right, that's going to be really impossible. So we got a very big company saw it, and that company said, I want it. That's called market demand. They didn't give me a PO, but just the size of that company wanting it, I could find a company now and go, hey, that company wanted it. Can you help me? And sure enough, that's exactly what we did. And the company ended up licensing it from us and spent the million dollars to test it. That's called market demand. Do you need to do that 
all situations? Heck no. But let's say I had a product that I thought was great for Walmart or Home Depot. And I was reaching out to a, a, ten, a potential licensee and they, I just couldn't get them to do anything. Well, I could reach out to a buyer at Home Depot or, or Walmart, and I've done this before, and say, look, I'm, I'm working on this idea. I just want to get your input. I think it's perfect for your customers. Could you take a look at it and tell me what you think? That's all. Tell me what you think. And the guy says, hey, I like this. Bingo. That's market demand. I can take that and find a licensee and say, hey, look, that buyer at that retailer wants my idea. Will you help me? That's called market demand. You can do it. And we, 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 we help a lot with that. It's incredible. You can do it, but you don't have to do it in every situation. Okay, number eight. Ah, ooh, I got some other stuff I want to show in a minute here. Okay, so let's go to questions again. Uh, when signing up for a coaching service, what is the average time frame from conception to licensing? Ooh, understanding everyone is at different stages on their projects. Yeah, I get that question all the time. And it's pretty, there's a broad range here. If I've got a simple plush toy, all right, it's fabric. Anybody can make fabric. That's simple to do. Manufacturing is easy. It doesn't require tooling. So if I find a big plush company, I show them some new functional plush, that could go pretty fast. Okay. If I've got fish bone, that's going to require a million dollars and build a machine that's 50 feet long, that's going to take forever. Okay, so there's a full range here. The Michael Jordan wall ball you see there, that's a piece of plastic and a piece of cardboard. That went fast. The licensing agreement, I showed it to Ohio Art. I showed it to Ohio Art, a concept, the ugliest prototype you've ever seen. We had a contract three days later, which is unheard of. It was in the market in six months. That's fast. That's lightning fast. I don't think that's normal. So I would say a year is probably from idea to license for a company to manufacture it, go to a trade show to get in stores. That's a pretty, that's pretty, that's a good, for me, that's a good time frame. But you can do it faster, but sometimes it's even longer. Okay. Um, if you already have a relationship with a lot of people at a company, you hope to license a product to, what is the best department to make the first contact? Um, okay, that, Mitchell, that's a good question. Um, and it changes. I'll give you an example. If I'm in the toy industry, I want someone in customer, uh, inventor's relations. Now, they, they even have titles for those people. I want someone that deals with inventors. That's usually someone that's inventors relations. And that's who we had at the, the toy company that came on on Monday. He was in toy relations at this big company. He's got a title. Okay, great. So let's, let's say I'm talking about a really big company. It could be someone in new product development. Yeah, they have a department, new product development. So that he could have that title. It could be someone in uh, new, uh, it could be someone in sales. Guy in sales, let me tell you the reason why I go after sales. And I went after someone in sales just the other day. I was trying to get into a company. No one was, was responding to me. <laughs> Drives me crazy. I'm trying to get on LinkedIn. Like no one's so I get this guy's name and he's in sales in the company because I can find those guys. And I got the guy's name 
And so then I called the corporate number. And when I called the number, they had a directory. They said, type in the guy's last name. I typed it in. It went right to the guy. And the guy picks up. Hello. And he was in sales. Now, I know he's not the right guy, Mitchell. I know he's not the right guy. But he's the guy that can lead me to that right guy. Sales guys always pick up the phone. They're good to call. Marketing managers, product managers, they're the best, you guys. Because marketing managers, product managers, they're really responsible from the front to the end, all the process. So, But they're hard to get to. So it all depends on the type of size of company, type of industry. So it all depends. You can always type in uh, on LinkedIn the name of the company, get the people, and start typing in titles. And, and see and look at the title, see who the people are and see what their job description is and find the right person there. But someone that's going to be interested in new products. There you go. Let's see. God, what a bunch of what a great questions we have today. Uh, Misha. Hi, Stephen. Oh, boom. <laughs> um, hi, Stephen. Hope all is well. If you had to start all over again and could only invent in one category for the rest of your life and it couldn't be in packaging, what would it be and why? Well, first of all, I don't like packaging. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. The only reason why I jumped in packaging is because I had licensed this little cup and canteen To a company that, that was selling in all the Disney stores and theme parks around the world. So I licensed it to that company and they did a whole line of rotating cups and canteens. And I was loving it. In fact, I designed a lot of products with that little spinning mechanism and it was great until I read an article where there was never enough information on labels. And then I thought, well, gee, maybe I'll make a rotating label. That when you rotate, it gives you more information. I didn't know what I was doing. I just jumped over there and I stayed over there because it, it, it was a great opportunity and it produced a lot of revenue for me. And and then I just started watching the revenue, <laughs> to tell you the truth. So what industry would it be in? I don't really know. Um, I was in the toy industry for quite a few years, but I wasn't really great at that. I licensed some ideas in the toy industry, but I just felt that I didn't love it like some people did. And I felt that if I didn't really love it, I probably wouldn't be very good at it. And uh, but some people are in the toy industry because they love it, and you should be. If you're playing games and you love toys, stay in that industry. So I guess when I guess my answer: find the industry yeah. that you're just passionate about. Yes, James. Trinkets and trash. Yeah, I guess that is my favorite. Um, yeah, let's talk about that, James. You had to mention that. I'm not an inventor, although I have been an inventor. I've been inventive. I've invented things, but I don't, I'm not really an inventor. I'm a guy that thinks I'm pretty clever and I can design things that people, I think people want and it has nothing to do about being an inventor, design things that people want. And I was very fascinated by designing and this is where I started my career and designing 
Trinkets and Trash. <laughs> what a terrible name that is. Trinkets and Trash. What that is, is designing things for fast food restaurants or for the box of cereal, um, the little things that are giveaway, little giveaway, premium giveaways are called Trinkets and Trash. I guess I would stay there. I liked it. I liked it because you had a very small amount of money to create something that someone wanted. And I was fascinated by that. To me, it was a challenge. I liked the challenge. And they were just things that were fun. They were playful. And they put a smile on your face. And they didn't really mean much. And what I really like about it, if you see over there, there, I don't know if you can see that. Um, I had a Michael Jordan that was in a, a giveaway in a, a cereal Kellogg's that was trinkets and trash. And I did a lot of stuff that fit in that category of novelty gifts, things that, that people don't really care about. They throw it away. I think I'd probably stay there. And the reason why they're silly, they're fun. And I think it fits my personality a little bit. And, and because I don't think I'm that clever <laughs> to do some really great stuff. There you go. I said it. I said it, you guys, I said it. Um, Tip number six, someone, what's that? You missed David's question. He, he clarified on the, on the question he asked. What did he say? Let's see. Um, oh, okay. There it is. Uh, here's David. Sorry, approaching bigger ticket product licensing versus more impulse and expensive stuff. I believe under 20 is the sweet spot for Walmart. How do things change with larger ticket licensing? Oh, that's a great idea. Um, great question. Um, I think, hmm, I like consumables myself. I like ideas that are, that are going to be on everything. Everybody uses them every single day. I love consumables. That's why packaging is kind of interesting. That's why even trinkets and trash, little novelty gifts, I really like it because they're they're consumables. Uh, big ticket items, um, I don't really see a lot of ideas licensed in, in those areas, really. I think you can. I just don't see it that often. And maybe we just don't have a community thinking that way. But I'm trying to think back. Any big ticket items that were licensed? Um, the biggest deal that we were involved in in Ventrite, and I don't know if it was a big ticket item, but it was in a it was in a truck. So I guess that's a big ticket item. <laughs> every truck, I'm not going to name the, the type of truck, but every truck that's in the United States has a technology from one of our members, and that was probably the biggest deal I've ever seen, and. They signed an NDA, which I really can't discuss it, but I can tell you uh, that was a big deal. And um, there was a buyout. It wasn't even royalties. It was a buyout. And the, it was in the millions. And I guess that's a big ticket item because it was in a it was in a vehicle. But I usually don't see it in big ticket items. Maybe $29, $49, $59, $100, anything above that, I usually don't see it. Maybe some kitchen, you know, wait a minute, I take that back. Some kitchen, maybe you might see it, but no, it's really the lower stuff. That's where I see it. But great question. I, I really don't know why, but um, it's usually the lower stuff. Um, here, Here's a, God, I love some of these. Uh, Scott, 
Scott, you know, I really like that Scott appears. He, he's he's coming in a little late. Hey, Stephen, I'm testing my memory here, but I seem to recall that when you visited IDEO, which is an amazing design firm in Palo Alto, way back in 2004, you showed a container for motor oil that included a label with an integrated funnel to help pour the oil. I love that idea. Yes, Scott, God, God what a memory. James, you remember that idea? Yeah, that's a long time ago. That's really a long time ago. Um, this was a concept. I can't believe you got a great memory. That's back in, that's almost like 20 years ago. This was a label that was on a con oil container that you would, and you know, and they have all these ECLs, expanded content labels. But what was really clever about this label, you'd peel this label off on an oil container and you'd fold it in such a way and you could use it as a funnel. Wow. Now, Scott, I never did anything with it. I don't know if it was even mine or somebody else's, but I'm surprised you showed it. But no, it never went anywhere. But I, I love that idea because you need a funnel, don't you? And the label provided that. It was a functioning label. That, you know, that gets back to things that are simple and clever and inexpensive. And Misha, that's what I really like. That's the that's the area that I really like. Things that are simple, that are that have a wow factor. Wow, look at that. Wow. And inexpensive. Those are the things that I'm fascinated by. And that um you're coming up on your time. You better be tip seven so they get them all. All right. Thanks. Tip number number seven. I've already no six. It only goes seven show market demand. Okay. But but I want to do one thing real quick. And I'm going to end it with this. Here are 12 things to consider. That's right. 12 things to consider when you're dealing or you're in that process of licensing an idea. Okay. Number one, don't agree to anything over the phone or through email. Always give yourself plenty of time to review it, think about it, and ask some questions to get some help. Always do that. Never be in a rush. Number two, don't get emotional. Always be calm during negotiations. Trust me, they're going to irritate you. They're going to make you mad. Never show your emotions. Keep cool. Keep calm because I can tell you it's a process. It's going to take longer than you think. Things are going to look ugly at the very beginning, but you can get it on track. Never show, never see, never let them see you sweat. Confused. Yes, there's going to be stuff in that licensing agreement that you don't understand whatsoever. And if you don't, just say, hey, look, I got to get back to you on this one issue. Or you might say, look, could you clarify issue number six? I don't quite understand. And they will tell you what that means. Don't trust it. So get better advice. Okay. Um, have, have a sense of humor. Hey, when they send you something over that's just totally ridiculous, and they will, read it back to them. Read it back to them because they're going to see how ridiculous it sounds. That's what I always do. And everybody starts laughing. I go, you know, Steve, you're right. That sounds pretty ridiculous. I read it back to him. And I go, look, is that what that truly means? Does that really show that you're really trying to take advantage of me? Is that what you're trying to do? So I have a sense of humor. I think it always works. Don't get in a hurry. Good contracts take time. Never get in a hurry. There's no such thing as a perfect licensing agreement. Doesn't, doesn't happen. Both parties are going to feel a little pain. Do your homework, know your strengths and weaknesses. Whoever you're dealing with, look them up on LinkedIn so you know who's in the room and what's important to them. 
Do you, you don't have to answer all the questions. It's okay to say, I, I don't know. I have to get back to you. Work on the easy stuff first. Always the easy stuff first. That's the best strategy. Sometimes people want to work on the hard stuff first. Don't no, forget it. Easy stuff first, hard stuff later, because now you have momentum, right? It's hard for people to pull out. Um, always look at it from their perspective. You guys, it's not all about you. It's about them. Try to put yourself in their shoes and ask them what's important to them right up front. So you really know what's important. That way it's going to help you negotiate. Take it slow. It's like eating an elephant. You can only do it. You cannot do it at one sitting at a time. Whoo, there it is, James. There's all 12. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank James for helping me today. Um, what number six was they didn't get number six so yeah yeah you want to make sure your product has a clear point of difference compared to the competition so you know the benefit of your idea and you know why yours is better than the rest so do a chart show all the competition and show yours and actually know why yours is better that's going to give you leverage all right you guys thank you very much for staying on hopefully this information has been very very helpful and uh, thank you for asking all these great questions. We're going to post this over on our YouTube channel. We always do, I think, on Saturday. And you can watch it again if there's something that I went a little too uh, a little too fast over. And I want to thank everyone for watching. This is Stephen Cannon. Right, thank you very much. I'll see you next week. Thanks.